Let's continue reading verses 21 through 34 of Joshua 22. Now, in the second half of the chapter, we have the explanation of the two and a half tribes as to why they built this great altar by the Jordan River. And this explanation pleased the nine and a half tribes, and civil war was averted. Joshua chapter 22, beginning now at verse 21. Then the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh answered and said to the heads of the divisions of Israel, The Lord God of gods, the Lord God of gods, he knows, and let Israel itself know, if it is in rebellion or if in treachery against the Lord, do not save us as dead. If we have built ourselves an altar to turn from following the Lord, or if to offer on it burnt offerings or grain offerings, or if to offer peace offerings on it, let the Lord himself require an account. But in fact, we have done it for fear, for a reason saying, in time to come, your descendants may speak to our descendants saying, what have you to do with the Lord God of Israel? For the Lord has made the Jordan a border between you and us, you children of Reuben and children of Gad, you have no part in the Lord. So your descendants would make our descendants cease fearing the Lord. Therefore we said, let us now prepare to build ourselves an altar not for burnt offering, nor for sacrifice, but that it may be a witness between you and us and our generations after us, that we may perform the service of the Lord before him with our burnt offerings, with our sacrifices, and with our peace offerings, that your descendants may not say to our descendants in time to come, you have no part in the Lord. Therefore we said that it will be, when they say this to us or to our generations in time to come, that we may say, here is the replica of the altar of the Lord which our fathers made, though not for burnt offerings, nor for sacrifices, but it is a witness between you and us. Far be it from us that we should rebel against the Lord and turn from following the Lord this day to build an altar for burnt offerings, for grain offerings, or for sacrifices, besides the altar of the Lord our God, which is beside his tabernacle. Now when Phinehas the priest and the rulers of the congregation, the heads of the divisions of Israel who were with him, heard the words that the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the children of Manasseh spoke, it pleased them. Then Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, said to the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the children of Manasseh, This day we perceive that the Lord is among us, because you have not committed this treachery against the Lord. Now you have delivered the children of Israel out of the hand of the Lord. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, and the rulers, returned from the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and from the land of Gilead to the land of Canaan to the children of Israel and brought back word to them. So the thing pleased the children of Israel. And the children of Israel blessed God. They spoke no more of going against them in battle to destroy the land where the children of Reuben and Gad dwelt. The children of Reuben and the children of Gad called the altar witness, for it is a witness between us that the Lord is God. Once again, let's begin this second half of Joshua 22 with some background notes. Joshua chapter 22 is a good chapter to study whenever misunderstandings arise between believers. Whether they be believers in a Christian family, or a Christian ministry, or within a church congregation. Now, of course, here at this church, no such misunderstandings ever arise. So this sermon is strictly academic for you folks. <laughs> But just in case misunderstandings ever do arise in this gathering of the Lord's people, remember Joshua 22. A major misunderstanding took place between the two divisions of the tribes of Israel, the nine and a half tribes on the west side of the Jordan River 
and the two and a half tribes on the east side of the Jordan River. It concerned this altar that was built by the two and a half tribes down by the riverside. We read in verse 10 that when they, that is the two and a half tribes, came to the region of the Jordan, which is in the land of Canaan, the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the half tribe of Manasseh built an altar there by the Jordan, a great impressive altar. This altar was probably patterned after the true altar of the Lord, which was by the tabernacle at Shiloh. But it was much larger and more impressive. It probably could be seen for miles around there in the Jordan Valley. Now, the nine and a half tribes, as we've seen, thought it was a rival altar and thought the two and a half tribes were setting up a separate system of worship. I mean, as far as the nine and a half tribes were concerned, this was rebellion and apostasy and idolatry. And the only course of action was civil war. Fortunately, cooler heads prevailed. An investigative committee was set up to see what was really going on. So here in the second half of the chapter, the two and a half tribes answer the charges. Now it turns out the two and a half tribes were not building a rival altar of sacrifice. After all, it was only a memorial replica of the true altar at Shiloh. It was meant to be a witness to their families for generations to come that even though they lived on the east side of the Jordan River, they were part of Israel that lived on the west side of the Jordan River. They were one nation under God. Well, so much for our background notes. Let's move now to our doctrinal or teaching points. Doctrinal or teaching point number one. It is wrong for believers not to think ahead. It is wrong for believers not to think ahead. Now, that's where the two and a half tribes made their mistake. They didn't think ahead. They didn't think through their actions and realize the repercussions that could take place. Their motives were good. They wanted this altar to be a witness of the unity between all the tribes of Israel. And what better symbol than an altar? The worship of the Lord is certainly the basis of unity. But unfortunately, the two and a half tribes did not think ahead to the possible explosive reaction of the nine and a half tribes who misread their motives. I mean, there was really no excuse. Because, you know, that would be the obvious and natural reaction of the nine and a half tribes to seeing a large altar built by these two and a half tribes down by the Jordan River. What a lesson for us. We need to think ahead of how others may read our actions, even though our motives may be right on. We need to avoid even the appearance of evil. Illustration. You know, not too long ago, I was preaching at a church where most of the congregation did not know me that well. But I decided to go with a more relaxed, laid-back classroom style hoping to relate better to my audience. I thought everything was going well at this uh, church as I was giving my sermon. But a few days later, I received this letter from a woman in the audience who was offended at my presentation. She didn't know me, and she thought I had a low view of the Word of God because I was so casual. She interpreted my actions as being disrespectful of the Word of God. Well, nothing could be further from the truth. But she expected that I would be more proper when standing in the pulpit, handling the oracles of God. Now, she had a point. My mistake is that I did not anticipate this possible reaction from people who did not know me well. I should have thought through my actions. Now, it's true you can't please everybody. 
No matter what you do, you're bound to offend some believer. But try to think ahead about possible wrong reactions to your actions. In fact, it is wrong for believers not to think ahead. Doctrine point number two, it is right for believers not to retaliate. It is right for believers not to retaliate. When Phineas and the delegation from the nine and a half tribes rebuked the two and a half tribes, it would have been easy enough and natural enough for the two and a half tribes to retaliate. How dare you accuse us of rebellion? What do you mean we're setting up a separate system of worship? Who are you to judge us anyway? But the two and a half tribes did not take that attitude. They did not retaliate. Look at what they say here in verses 22 and 23. The Lord God of gods, the Lord God of gods, he knows. And let Israel itself know, if it is in rebellion or if in treachery against the Lord, do not save us this day. If we have built ourselves an altar to turn from following the Lord, or if to offer on it burnt offerings or grain offerings, or if to offer peace offerings on it, let the Lord himself require an account. And then they give their reasons as to why they set up this replica altar. What a great attitude. They are willing to be disciplined by the Lord if they are wrong. They don't retaliate. They are given the chance to explain themselves, and Phineas and the delegation from the nine and a half tribes accept the explanation, and there is no civil war. What a great lesson for us. It is right for believers not to retaliate. Romans 12, 19, never take your own revenge. Proverbs 15.1 says, a soft answer turns away wrath. We all need to have the attitude that David had when he wrote Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my ways, my anxieties, and see if there is any wicked way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. 1 Peter 5.6 says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. It is right for believers not to retaliate. You know, in reference to that letter I received from that woman, it was hard for me not to retaliate. How dare you question my motives? I'm on the faculty of Emmaus Bible College. How unspiritual can you be to think I have a low view of the word of God? But praise the Lord, I did not retaliate yet. <laughs> Rather, I prayed about it and sent her a letter of explanation and an apology for offending her. Now, I believe I was following the biblical principle that we see taught here in Joshua 22. It is right for believers not to retaliate. Practical application. What kind of message are you sending to the next generation? What kind of message are you sending to the next generation? You know, the two and a half tribes thought that they were doing the right thing when they built this large, impressive altar, and it was certainly with good motives. They wanted the next generation to know that they were one nation under God. But it was really the wrong kind of message that they were sending to the next generation. You see, God had already built into his law a safeguard against the different tribes falling away from their unity and from their worship of the one true God. You know what that was? Turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 16, verses 16 and 17. Three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses. We read the same thing 
in Exodus 23, verse 17. Three times in the year, all your males shall appear before the Lord God. God had chosen a central sanctuary in the land where the tabernacle and later the temple would be built. This would be the city of Jerusalem. And three times a year, on three of the feast days, all the male population would come to Jerusalem to worship. Females could come too, but males were required to come. Now, if the two and a half tribes would obey the Lord in this command, then there was no need to build this large, impressive altar, this memorial, this replica. The younger generation would catch the right message as they saw their parents, their grandparents, everyone together going up three times a year to worship the Lord God at the temple in Jerusalem. I think the application is obvious for us. If we in the older generation would faithfully follow and worship the Lord, then those in the next generation will receive the right message. You know, right now, I know a Christian man. He's to be commended for how he supports various Christian ministries with substantial gifts of money, including camps, Christian camps for the next generation. But he rarely attends services at his home church, and he rarely studies God's Word. He wants the younger generation, the next generation, to follow the Lord, but he's sending the wrong message. What kind of message are you sending to the next generation?